24th episode of The Diode. Tonight we have a short story about a young boy called Adrian. I don't want to preface it too much because you'll catch on pretty quick here. Without further ado, The Boy Who Could See as the Sun. carefully. It was a cold autumn day out and several military police on horses trotted down the road. My neighborhood was densely packed with brick and wood apartments. The smell of burnt oil and bread hung in the air. I had grown accustomed yet still constantly aware of the slight gray uniforms that seemed so out of place in Liège. It was cloudy out today as it seems to have been for most of the war. The large crimson banners of the swastika hung on the intersection corners where guards stood with their large machine guns. It was a weight that had crushed me now, and I no longer existed. Eloise was walking her dog down the street. She had dirty smudges on her face and greeted me as she walked by. My mother had sent me to buy bread for the family and stuffed a fist of bills into my hand. The price of bread had changed day to day, and it seemed that there was no telling how much I would be able to get. It seemed quiet out this morning, as cars and large buses motored down the streets. The Germans had been sending supply wagons through Liège since they showed up, and the motors could be heard through the night sometimes. Large trucks filled with artillery shells, ammunition, and food rumbled along the main roads in an orderly procession. My school had closed, and the other kids were mostly kept indoors. Some of the boys in my neighborhood had volunteered to be part of the Germans, and others had been conscripted. They all were loaded on large buses and shipped east. My older brother said they were making shells and ammunition. Others said they were training in the German military. The newspapers showed images of what they called the home front and what the boys from Liège were doing, the honorable jobs that they had fulfilled. My brother Arno told me that this was all bullshit. He said that the newspapers printed it to make us think that's what we should do, that we should just turn in and start supporting these Germans. The one who were killing us in the first place, he said. My family was Jewish, not Orthodox by any means, but we celebrated Hanukkah. My mother didn't trust the neighbors, and my father didn't say much anymore. He would just go to work every morning and come home at night. I think he was trying to keep us together as a family, but was too tired most of the time. Arno, my older brother, was gone most days either to the coffee house or to work at the steel mill on odd days. My older sister Zoe read a lot these days. She didn't like to go out much, but her friend Claire would come over occasionally and they would play with their dollhouse upstairs. My grandpa Benoit had moved in with us from the country. My grandmother had died before I was born and my grandpa came to live with us in 1940 after the Nazis had occupied Belgium. My grandpa was an astronomer and had a large telescope set up in the attic above my room. He would go up there at night and watch the stars for hours. The bakery was a 20-minute walk from my house. In the mid-morning, the streets were quiet with the neighbors I knew. There was the mean German man on the corner near my house who would ask for my papers occasionally. 
the one who seemed to recognize me with his sharp green eyes. When I came into the bakery, Audrey was happy to see me. She had known my parents since they were children and loved our family. She gave me three loaves of bread and a small hard caramel. I smacked on the candy as I walked home. A huge battalion was down the street and I rushed over to watch them parade through. It was always fascinating to see the machine-like quality the Germans had. They stepped in line, they sung in line, their massive machinery moved in line with them. The storm of the parade seemed to shake the earth like a metronome as they walked over the cobble streets. It was terrifying and captivating each time I saw it. The parade had beautiful women that walked with it and waved to the people as they handed out pamphlets to the crowd that had gathered around. One of the ladies stooped down and kissed me on my forehead and tucked a flyer into my arms with my bread. I blushed as she walked away. Once the battalion had walked by, the streets were covered in sheets of paper and oil stains as the thin crowd disappeared. I walked back reading the flyer about the glory and the pride of the Nazis. There was a graphic of a stern-looking man giving a stiff-armed salute with the stars and an eagle behind him. Hello, little boy, said the mean guard near my house. He startled me as I was reading the flyer. Let's see your papers, he said sternly. I fumbled around for the identification I had been carrying for two years. I handed them up to the man, and he took an extra long time looking them over. He handed them back firmly and yanked a loaf of bread out of my arms and bit a chunk out of it. You can go. I wanted to fight, but I knew that's the way it was. I couldn't do anything. Arno would have punched me for thinking that. Hey, Mama! I shouted as I got home. Grandpa Benoit bumbled down the stairs to come greet me. He hadn't gone out much over the past six months. You can throw the bed up on the counter, my mother shouted from the kitchen. Oh, Adrian, did you see them come down the moulin? That was the third battalion this week, my grandpa said to me. Yes, Opa, I said as I walked into the kitchen. My mother was peeling potatoes over the sink. The British radio is saying they're laying quite the herd on those Nazi bastards, my grandpa said. Papa, you shouldn't be listening to that. My mother said to him, Oh, Ophelia, where was that young brat that bit the police officer? Benoit replied, Papa, it's not safe. If they catch you listening to that, you'll be beaten, you know, or thrown onto one of those cursed buses. Ophie, you're no fun anymore. How can you live if you're scared to be alive, my girl? Benoit, not in front of Adrian, please. You know, your mother used to shoot guns with the boys around the farm. She was quite the rebel back then. Papa, please, my mother shouted. My grandfather grumbled a bit. Did they give you trouble out there, my boy? No, I replied. Good, he grumbled while restraining what else he wanted to say. My parents never talked about it, but I knew that my grandfather had been part of the Belgium resistance in the Great War. He had been there when the levees blew. When Belgium was pushed so far back, they had no other choice but to destroy themselves. been gone all day, and I came in late. Zoe had read in the upstairs window room with Grandpa all day, and I had played with my toy airplane before my mother asked me to read a bit. 
My father sipped on soup as he stared into his bowl. My mother looked carefully around the table at everyone. It had been almost two years of this, the feeling that someone was looking over our shoulder at every moment. I could forget about it sometimes throughout the day, but at dinner it always seemed to be that way. No one spoke their true thoughts, except in short frustrated bursts. Arna was most prone to this, and would slam his silverware on the table and talk about the British and the Allies, and what his friends were doing. My mother would almost always become frightfully worried, and my grandpa would egg him on occasionally. My father rarely said a thing. They'd installed a German at his cabinet practice, an apprentice underneath him that seems to have almost broken his spirit. He had to let go of his other apprentice, Dorian, to pay for the new German man. He'd been making items for the Third Reich ever since the occupation, and the officers had taken quite a shine to his craft. Everything we ate was paid for by Germans, but it slowly was becoming less and less. The dinner was tomato and potatoes stew with bread. Our meals were growing smaller and smaller. Opa Benoit said that it was because the Nazis were taking all the food from the farmers. Belgium, as it seemed, had become the grain belt for the fight out west. Zoe, Arno, and I cleaned up dinner as my mother lit a fire in the living room. We had some wood we could spare in the evenings from my father's shop. Scraps and a bit of varnished cedar crackled in the hearth. It was bedtime, and my grandfather came to tuck me into bed as my parents went to sleep. Zoe and I each had small rooms, and Arno insisted on sleeping in the living room each night with my grandfather's old rifle. My mother tried fighting him in the beginning, but it had become a routine at this point. Have I ever told you about the cosmos? My grandfather asked me. I don't think so. I haven't. It's one of my favorites. He mumbled to himself. So, supposedly, before there was men, women, and children, the gods were looking down on the cosmos at the swirling mixture of dust. Just this sand, but microscopic, floating through a vacuum. Most of the gods were stern back then, opinionated bastards that argued a lot about what should be what and where. Eventually, all the godparents began to descend down into space and gather all the dust around themselves, and this became the stars. They began to propagate once down into space, and began to create more densely gathered families, and so on and so on. We are the children of Terra, who is the daughter of Sol, who is the child of our galaxy, who is the offspring of a higher source. You see, we're all connected, Adrian. We're all collections of patterns. You, Adrian. You have an electrical signature that shapes and grows this harness that you are given around you, your body, which was created and shaped by the electrical signature of this planet, Earth, which was shaped by that of the sun, and so on. Your body has its strengths and its limitations, but your resonance, your electrical signature, is what shapes what and where, which part of your brain you exercise, which part of your muscles you exercise. Do you see, Adrian? And when you die, a long time from now, that signature pattern floats into the air around you and you blossom into a cloud or a weather pattern. Or if you've had a magnificent life, you might become a star in another solar system. Your signature, Adrian, wanders the cosmos and finds a body that resonates with it until you pass from that form into another and another. 
Despite what they all say out there, we're all connected, my son. And you can see it if you want. It just takes a little practice. How do I see it, Opa? It's easy. Just close your eyes, Adrian, and open your mind. That night, as I lied in bed, I closed my eyes and tried to see. I imagined several things, but nothing felt like what my grandfather had talked about. The next day was Saturday, and Arno left early after breakfast. He told the family he was going to hang with his friends down at the coffee shop. Papa sat in the living room all morning, flipping through the newspapers, and left for a walk around noon. What do you think's going to happen? Zoe asked me as we played in the upstairs window room. What do you mean? I asked my sister. They're killing us, all of us, Adrian. Claire told me they took the Laurents two days ago. She said they tied them up in the night and hauled them off to some torture bunker. I don't want to think about it, Zoe, I replied. You haven't been telling anyone, have you? She asked. Of course not, I'm not an idiot. Good. I hung my head and stared off into space. Why do they want to kill us, Zoe? Because they hate what we can do. Grandpa Benoit said from the doorway. They hate us, Adrian, because we beat them off once already. And they hate us because they're scared that their own problems are their own fault. But you can't let it break you, no matter how dark it seems to get. We're a strong people, my boy, and we have always known love. It's that love who makes us who we are. Dinner came around that night, and Arno had not returned home. Mama was getting visibly worried when it came time to clean the dishes. It's okay, Ophelia. Give it time, Papa said as the family stood up to pack up the plates. He's a young lad. He'll take care of himself. Ophelia wiped tears of worry from her eyes as Papa embraced her and rubbed her back. Zoe and I quietly cleaned the dishes with Grandpa Benoit in the kitchen as we heard the gentle cries coming from the living room. I woke in the night to a clatter downstairs. My heart was pounding through my skull. Was it my time? Were they finally here for the family? I heard voices loud thumping down the stairs. I heard murmurs of my father's voice. I poked my head out of the door. Quick, get him onto the couch, I heard my father say. I slowly came downstairs to see the two older boys walking with my brother over their shoulders. The whole family was starting to wake up from the commotion and come down into the living room. Where is he hurt? My father asked one of the boys. I think it's in his stomach, the boy replied. I came down. The older boys looked startled and ashamed when they saw me. Ophelia, grab my medical supplies, my father demanded. Mama was flush, with red swollen cheeks and tears running down her face as she ran to the upstairs bathroom. What did you boys do to him? Grandpa Benoit said sternly. He got shot, 
one of them said. We were trying to blow an artillery truck. He's got a damn family, you know. He works, don't you? You damn fools. Benoit cursed the two boys. Ophelia came back with a tin box of medical supplies and handed them to Cedric. Arno was choking and gasping for breath, lying on the couch, as my father began to peel away the clothes from his torso. Papa cut open Arno's blood-soaked shirt and exposed a sinister purplish hole in his abdomen. My father wrapped a wad of cloth up into a ball. Ophelia, close the curtains. Arno, bite on this, he said, putting the rag into the young man's mouth. Arno howled in muffled agony as Papa dug around in the hole with a pair of pliers, searching and exploring as blood flowed in a gentle torrent from the hole. Ophelia covered her mouth as she watched her son weep in pain. Dad, Ophelia shouted, please get the children upstairs. They need to see this, Benoit said firmly. Mama let out a sob. Arno's two friends stood quietly in the corner as Cedric dug and dug. I can't find the damn thing. Cedric said in desperate frustration. Arno had become pale and clammy. I can try, Cedric, Benoit stated. Please, Cedric said as he kissed his son on the forehead. I'm sorry, Arno. Arno stared through wet-lidded eyes at his father as Benoit tried to find the bullet. Benoit eventually said, I can't find it. We have to wrap him. Arno let the rag drop from his mouth and his eyes closed. Papa lit a fire, and the two friends had left out the back door. The family had turned the couch to face the fire. Go to sleep, Cedric said after a while to the family. I'll stay up with him. Come, kids, Benoit said. Let's go. As I lied in bed, I heard the moaning of my brother through the floorboards. I closed my eyes and felt love. Love for my brother and love for my family. I felt peaceful yet lucid as I lied in bed and closed my eyes. And it felt as if love had found me. The earth seemed to reach out through the floorboards. I felt it wrap me up in a warm blanket. The sensation reached up along my spine and swelled into my head. I felt a gentle pressure form in my forehead. As I lay there in Liege, Belgium in late 1942, I floated out from my body. I could see myself above my own bed as I floated through the roof. I could see the neighborhood as I drifted further and further away. I could see the countryside and the clouds off to the north. I could see the earth spin away from underneath me, moving with titanic speed and force, as I drifted out away towards the sun. pale and clammy in the morning. Mama and Papa hadn't slept all night, and there was an empty kettle and a half-drunk cup of tea on the floor near Arno. 
Both my parents watched as I descended the stairs. Did you get some rest? My father asked me as he rubbed the birthmark on my forehead. I did, Papa. How's Arno? He's in a bad way, Adrian. I'm going to see if Dr. Schubert will come today and see him. I gave my mother a big hug and a kiss, and she let out an exhausted sound of relief as she kissed me on the forehead. Let's get you some breakfast, she said as she held my hand and walked me to the kitchen. We ate breakfast around the table except for Mama, who watched my brother as he breathed heavily on the couch. Come, you two. Grandpa's going to get us a treat. Opa Benoit said to Zoe and I as he took us out of the house. It was quite busy outside. Cars, trucks, and Belgiums were out and about in motion today. Opa had a favorite candy store several blocks from the house and loved their taffies. We have to keep quiet about Arno, okay? Benoit said to us. Lickety-zip. Zoe and I both nodded. Good. Let's get them all something nice, okay? Benoit said. Look over there. Another one of those convoys. Opa pointed down the street. Let's keep to ourselves today. I know you like seeing them, Adrian, but your old grandpa might have a fit if he goes down there. The Gillies Candy Shop had a limited selection of candies in their store, and the family could only afford a few sweets. As we walked back from the store, there was a distant thump followed by a muffled machine gun crack. Benoit grabbed Zoe and I and threw us over his shoulders, and began running away from the sounds of fighting. A German knelt in an intersection with his gun trained down the road, and waved for Benoit to clear the intersection while shouting something in German. The door of my house opened as Benoit approached. Quick, get inside, Cedric said firmly as he slammed and locked the door behind the old bear. Papa double-checked the curtains and sat back down in the chair that was aimed at the door and placed his rifle in his lap. That damn rebellion's going to get us killed, Cedric stated. Arno had woken up and his breathing had become terse and haggard. He shook like an old car as he inhaled and a foul stink was around him. Papa peered through the curtain to see if anyone else was coming. That night, the family ate potatoes and salt for dinner again, as Mama tried to spoon-feed Arno on the couch, whose purple stain had spread outside of his wrap. It was a cold evening that night, and it took me hours before I fell asleep. I woke in the night to a banging sensation from downstairs, followed by German shouting. Benoit came into my room and grabbed me. Shh, he said quietly. We grabbed Zoe and went up into the attic. I could hear Papa talking in German downstairs. Benoit closed the door carefully behind us. Stay very quiet, children. We heard talking downstairs become more and more heated. Footsteps thumped up to the second story. The trap door swung open, and a German head poked up with a flashlight and saw all three of us. He shouted something as Benoit clocked the man in the head. You Nazi bastards! shouted the old bear as he dragged the German up from the attic and began to pound his face into a mess. More Germans began to swarm up into the attic as Benoit clocked one in the cheekbone and was jammed in the face with the butt of the rifle. Two men came in and grabbed Zoe and I as we screamed and fought, clawing to get out of their grab. I saw my grandpa beaten to death by three men as I was dragged from the attic. Mama screamed and shrieked as the family was dragged from the house. Cedric tried to swing his head and bite at the guards as they beat him into unconsciousness. The shots sounded out from the house, one from the attic 
and one from the living room. I screamed a frightful shriek, Opa! I cried into the black night, Opa! It rained through the night and into the morning. My mother, sister, and father and I were all on a small armored bus with other Belgians. My mother kept me on her lap as we bumped through the night. The sky seemed to crack and rage with a deep anger. Near noon, the buses had reached a train station. I was hungry beyond all reason and cried empty tears as I stood in the rain. My father picked me up and threw me over his shoulders as we boarded the train. I lied in a thin cot that night with my mother in a shed behind a fence. It was cold and wet. We had been given a tattoo on our wrists and a new outfit to wear. The storm still pattered on the ceiling of the tin shed as hundreds of others slept around us. I closed my eyes and felt the broken love of my mother next to me. I felt the earth come out and embrace me as I drifted off deep into the night sky. Several weeks had passed, and Zoe and I had gotten quite good at hiding around the camp. We could both shimmy into spaces in between the officer's shed and the steel mill. We could hide in the mattresses during the day sometimes. Zoe, on the other hand, had taken to stealing articles from the officers. She had gotten several bullets she had found spilt on the ground, several sweets, and a hat at this point, which she collected under father's mattress. I had taken to hiding and closing my eyes, and seeing the stars and the moons and the sun. I would tell my parents on days that I had seen Benoit and when storms were approaching. My parents had thought nothing of it at first until the startling accuracy had shown them otherwise. What do you think will happen to us? Zoe asked me one day when we were hiding between the cafeteria and a log pile. I don't know, Zoe. I'm scared, Adrian, Zoe replied. It smells awful here, and I think it's dead people. I can't do this. Why are we here? Zoe began to cry. Why is this happening, Adrian? I just want to go home. Zoe cried as she grabbed me, her arms as thin as sticks, and I tried to hug her back. I miss Arno. I miss Benoit. I miss Claire and Audrey. I miss my dolls. I miss our fireplace. I can't do this, Adrian. She sobbed into my shoulder. She began to cry. I can't do this, Adrian, she repeated. I can't do this. Why are we here? She shouted in broken breaths into my shoulder. We held each other for a long time. I can't do this. The next day came with a gray sky. 
Zoe and I hid in the mattresses as the guards came around. Zoe snuck out of the mattress before I could and started walking out the door. So, I whispered after her. Zoe! Zoe was walking with determination. Zoe, wait up! I whispered quietly. She didn't look back as she walked out into the grounds. I hid behind a corner as Zoe kept walking on her quiet bare feet. Zoe! I whispered more sharply. She was approaching a guard from behind. I just slunk back as a swelling darkness grew inside me. All I could do was watch as Zoe smoothly unclipped the guard's pistol and shot him in the back of the spine. The small 14-year-old girl stood over the man and shot him in the back of the skull. I screamed a shriek of pain as I watched my sister spin unnaturally to the ground. I ran out trying to reach my sister as a guard grabbed me and carried me off. I screamed Zoe's name. I felt the cold earth underneath me as I stood in the quiet, dark, crowded chamber. Papa stood with his hands on my shoulders as my mother sobbed uncontrollably. It'll be all right soon, Adrian, my father said to me. I love you, Adrian, Mama said to her son. I love you to the moon and back. I'm sorry that this ever happened to you. Papa let go of me as my parents kissed and hugged each other. I tried to embrace them in the dark room and felt their warm arms around me. The skies cleared that day to let the sun through. A storm which seemed to have been raining for weeks finally parted. A guard walked through the gas chamber and began to weep as he saw a small family of three holding each other knelt in the middle of the chamber. Why are you telling me about the cosmos? I asked my grandfather. Because there are more cruel things than the storms and the seas, Adrian, and is the thought that we are all somehow different. Now get some sleep, my son, and know that you always have your grandfather's love with you. Benoit kissed me on my forehead and extinguished his lantern as he walked out and closed the door behind him. concludes the fourth episode of the diode thanks for tuning in everyone